we pause in this moment to be able to thank you, God, for the breath that you give us to praise you. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. For us as a family of faith to gather together to be able to sing words that unite us and a unity that is not a false unity, but a deep unity, a unity of the body of believers that, that comes around the foundational truth that you, God, are our source of hope and redemption. This is a song to sing. This is a story to tell. We thank you that you've given us words to proclaim. Help us as we look into your word to think of our words. May your Holy Spirit guide us into truth. We, your servants, are listening. It's in your name we pray, the powerful name of Christ. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 3, James 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. It's good to be back with you last week. Brad Gowan preached while Danielle and the kids and we were out uh, for a, a little time away, and so we're very blessed to be able to hear Brad preach. I heard Brad preach a little bit later. We were worshiping outside of Chattanooga last week, and so I got a steady stream of emails and got a steady stream of text messages that were sort of strange to me in some respects. I was very encouraged because it was happy birthday, happy, happy belated birthday. And I looked and there was just this theme. There were all Dawson people, all Dawson people. But I hadn't talked to Brad, worshiped somewhere else. And I, so for about two days, I thought to myself, you know, Dawson is the most considerate one day late church I've ever served <laughs> in. And then I listened on Wednesday and then Brad Brad uh, shared, of, uh, so I try to keep those things under the radar, and Brad made sure that I flew squarely into the radar, I guess. So um, it's good that you're here this morning. I, I know that you know this, but I think sometimes it's helpful to be reminded, you know, a doctor can't determine a lot by you in, in a variety of, of ways. A doctor could look at your tongue, for instance, and determine a good bit about your health. Not everything about your health, by any stretch of the imagination, but but a doctor, he, he can look at you and determine vitamin deficiencies by just looking at your tongue. Uh, a doctor, she could look at you and by looking at your tongue could be able to see if there are certain types of cancer that you might have. A doctor could look at you and by looking at your tongue could see uh, that there could be the potential of scarlet fever or to be able to see dental hygiene practices or a lack of dental hygiene practices by just examining your tongue. There are vital aspects of your health that are determined and, and can be seen by an examination of the tongue. And so James is going to be a spiritual doctor for us this morning. James is going to say, open up, stick out your tongue, and through a tongue examination, he is going to speak into the health of our spiritual life. Are there spiritual sicknesses that we are suffering from this morning? It very well may be by a tongue examination, we would be able to see the very state of our soul because you understand that your words spoken through your tongue, that your tongue can heal, it can help, it can hurt, and it can harm. This is the power of your tongue that James will speak to in James 3, verses 1 through 2, 12. Now, it's important for you to understand, James has already picked up this theme in James chapter 1, verse 19. He alludes to it, he drops it, he comes back to it in what is arguably one of the longest 
periods of, or one of the longest passages of Scripture that is directed specifically to the potential and the power of your tongue that we will look at in just a few minutes. He focuses his attention There's as if he has a camera and he puts it on a close-up shot before he gets to the panoramic shot. So before looking to everyone, he speaks to some of us by speaking these words in verses 1 through 2. Notice what he says, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Notice that James gives away the very point. His thesis is stated very clearly. None of us are perfect, so that means that none of us perfectly bridle our tongue. He gives a warning specifically to teachers. Now, this applies to me. As a teaching pastor here at Dawson, this applies to our ministerial staff who has teaching responsibilities. This applies to many of you that are in this room. It doesn't apply necessarily to the Stanford professor. We're not talking about the kindergarten teacher who has the summer off here. We're talking about in the context of the church and the role and the responsibility of those that are proclaimers of God's words, that teach God's word. Now, many of you in this room have significant influence through life groups. Many of you have faithfully for decades taught a life group, or maybe you have, whether it's children or preschoolers or young adults. I mean, the health of this church, the faithfulness of this church, so much of it is, is upon the back of men and women who have given themselves in the midst of professional pursuits, in the midst of family pursuits, to make a tremendous commitment to Sunday school, to life groups, and to the teaching of God's Word, and the health of this church as a reflection of the health of the teaching in those contexts. But notice what James is saying here. Don't, don't just want to be this, because ultimately you will be judged with greater strictness because our words as teachers can convey the truth, they can cloud the truth, and they can even contradict the truth. That when I speak, there is a, a sense in which I will be judged, and there is a weight to the responsibility and opportunity that comes out of my mouth because I am called, first and foremost, to convey God's truth from His Word, and I will be judged. I will answer to God with what I have done, with the stewardship of what he has entrusted to me. And it isn't in the end that he says, well, how witty were you? How creative were you? How entertaining were you? But rather, how faithful were you to the teaching of God's word? That a fidelity to God's word is the standard by which we will be judged as teachers in life groups, teachers from uh, this podium here this morning, that we are called to teach God's word. Notice as he moves from this specificity of the, the, the call to teachers and he moves out to kind of this panoramic shot. It's broader where he speaks not just to some of us, but he speaks to all of us. And he talks about three descriptions of the tongue starting in verse three. And the first that I want you to discover is that the tongue is small, but it is powerful. The tongue is small, but it is powerful. Start in verse three with me. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Notice that there are two clear examples. I mean, James is 
so clear in this passage here. He says, think about a horse. I was just talking after our first service with a veterinarian, and he was telling me, you can put 1,000 pounds. I mean, you can put the amount of, of, of ton or weight that an Olympic power lifter would have a difficulty lifting. You can put that on the back of a horse, and the horse not even snort, not even be, be pressed under that weight. Now, that same horse, you can take the weight off of that horse, put it around a track, a quarter-mile track, and in 25 seconds that horse can get around it. That horse is this impressive uh, uh, animal here that has all of this potential and all this power, but you put on the back of that horse a 100-pound teenage girl or a 100-pound uh, young boy upon that horse, and with a bridle and a bit, and with a person that knows what they're doing, they can make that horse dance. The control of that horse is in the bit of that horse's mouth. And then he says, don't just think about a horse, but think about a ship. Think about the USS Enterprise. Now, James didn't know anything about the USS Enterprise. But the same principle applies here. You have a ship, the USS, uh, excuse me, Enterprise. What am I thinking about? Star Trek here or something here. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You were like, hmm. Interesting where he's, of course, no, James didn't know about the Enterprise, did he? Beam me up in this moment right here. So the, so the USS Eisenhower, so 91,000 tons, nearly 1,100 feet in length. It has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine. It can house 6,100 men and women, carries 100 aircraft. It is a floating city, and it is controlled by a rudder that is a tenth of 1% of the ship's size. A tenth of 1% of the ship's size. You have this bit, you have the rudder, you have the small, significant, or seemingly insignificant in size and shape, and it's with this that controls what is so immense and what is so powerful. This is the power of our words. Think about the power of words in the Word of God. God creates. How does He create? He creates through His words. Let there be light. Jesus comes, and there are people that are bound in demonic oppression demonic possession and what does Jesus do through the power of his word he calls out of the person the demonic presence think about Jesus when he shows up on the scene and he's a few days late and there's Mary and Martha saying to Jesus if you would have been here my brother would not have died and Jesus comes into the place where there are tears everywhere and he says Lazarus come forth and where there is death now there is life through the power of his words think about the power of words in our world, there are leaders throughout history, through careless words that empires have crumbled. There are entertainers, even in this last week, you've seen all of this information about uh, tweets that go out in the middle of the night and, and cancellations of shows because of words. Words matter. Your words matter. My words, they matter. Words in worship. We have worshiped today, and what have we used? We've used the currency of words. We have sung together. We have prayed together. We are hearing the word of God proclaimed through words. Words are powerful. They can heal, they can help, but they can also harm. Now you say, James is talking just great rhetorical flourishes. I mean, maybe he's over-exaggerating this. Maybe this is sermonic hyperbole here, but in actuality, it's not. Think about Hitler. Hitler and his Mein Kampf, the... the outline the manifesto of Nazi Germany for every one word in his manifesto a hundred lives were lost in World War II words matter you remember that old cliche that we've all proven true with what we have said and what we've received sticks and stones may break your bones but words will never hurt me oh yeah they do 
You know, you've hurt people with your words. I've hurt people with my words. A spirit of a child can be broken with harmful words. The initiative of an employee can be doused by biting, deconstructive critique. Uh, uh, The joy of a marriage can be strained under careless words. Your words matter. My words matter. The tongue is small, but it is powerful. Secondly, the tongue is small, but it is dangerous. Verses 6 through 8 read, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Did you see in the news, did you read in the paper just a few months ago, there were these deadly fires that were in Oregon that blazed for over two months. Over 100,000 acres that were lost because of those forest fires. There were millions upon millions of dollars of personal property that was lost in these forest fires. They forensically had been able to examine what was the actual source, and they'd been able to pin it down that there was a young teenage boy that carelessly threw into this remote part of the trails in uh, the wilderness of Oregon these fireworks, and from that careless moment comes this tremendous blaze. Well, there's some spiritual forensics that are uh, occurring here in James's word. And he's saying, I want you to know what the source of your careless words are. I want you to know the source of an unbridled tongue. And James says that the very source of it is fire, the fire of hell itself. The word he's using there is Gehenna. It's an actual place outside of Jerusalem. It was a place which was a first century garbage dump. Garbage was set ablaze. There was this stench that could be smelled. Many of you grew up in a paper mill town, and you would come out in those June days, those July days, and you could just smell it. It was on top of you. It was much more worse in Gehenna there. It was much worse in the, in the stench and the smells that they would have experienced in that first century world. And James says an unbridled tongue, the very source of it, is hell itself. And we can understand this because Satan has a tremendous arsenal to choose from. But you understand that he uses to distract, to discourage, and to derail. He uses oftentimes our words more than anything else. Your words are small, but they are dangerous. Your words are small, but they are powerful. There's the source of our words, and there's the extent of the fire. Look with me again in verse 6. Notice the all-encompassing way that James talks about our words. In verse 6, he says, it stains the whole body. It's setting on fire the entire course of life. Notice the whole body. Notice the entire course. Notice the all-encompassing way that he talks about the destructive power of words Words that are loose, words that are not bridled by the Holy Spirit. We live in a day and age where there is such a a coarsening of public discourse. We live in a day and age where our words seemingly do not matter. And all before us, it seems as if public conversation is being diminished and diminished to the the lowest common denominator. And we use words and we we, we seem to be living in this narrative that our words don't matter. And we can just say whatever comes to our mind without any repercussions whatsoever. 
I tell you, it grieves my heart. And it doesn't first and foremost grieve my heart as a pastor. It grieves my heart as a dad. Because I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old, and I've had to explain to them words, and I've had that conversation to them about words, words that are heard in public discourse. And we live in a day and age where we're being sold this lie that our words do not matter. You say whatever you want to, then you just move on to the next thing, and we, we just bulldoze with words, and we just need to reclaim that your words matter and my words matter. And the way we use words is a reflection of the Word of God in us, but more than that, it is a reflection of the human dignity that every person deserves. Do you understand? Well, of course you understand this, but maybe we just need to be reminded that you do not have to agree with everything a person says or everything a person does to treat that person with respect. That our society needs to be reminded, and and we, as the salt and light of society, we must be foremost mindful of this, that I don't have to cross my T's and dot my I's exactly the same way ideologically, politically, to treat people with dignity and respect, and we primarily do that through the words that we use. And this is important to reclaim. It is important because ultimately this is polluting not only individuals, but it is polluting our culture. Because our words are powerful and our words are dangerous. The tongue is small, but finally it is revealing. Look with me in verses 9 through 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James's illustrations here are just immensely clear. It's just one point that he says here, and the point is very simple, that we are what we say. That what we say reveals what is inside of us. It reveals who controls us. Are we controlled by our flesh? Are we controlled by the Word of God? Are we controlled by the Spirit of God? Are we controlled by the world? That our tongue is a spiritual thermometer. You ever think about it this way, that for good or ill, your conversation is your advertisement, that my conversation is my advertisement. Every time that you open your mouth, every time that I open my mouth, we let men and women look into our minds, but we let them look into our soul. We let them look into our heart. You as a parent, you as a caregiver, oftentimes you have to say, open your mouth. Let me stick this thermometer under what? Under your tongue. Close your mouth, 10 seconds. And, and if there's something physically wrong, it is determined through that thermometer. Our spiritual thermometer is our tongue. And oftentimes, when we are not right with God, our words are not right. Our words are unbridled. This is the first indication that there's not deep abiding with God because there's a looseness to our lips, there's a looseness to our words. If we speak words of encouragement consistently, not perfectly, but consistently, we are an encouraging person. If we speak words consistently that are patient and are kind, we are a patient and kind person. Not perfectly. This side of heaven, 
none of this is perfection. This is all about progress. This is all about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. But if our tongue consistently reveals bitterness and consistently reveals anger and frustration and envy and jealousy, it is an indication that spiritually something is wrong. Jesus would say it this way in Luke chapter 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. We are what we say. We are what we say. And there are times, as a Christian, we have to admit that our advertisement to the world looks a whole lot like the word or the world. Why? Because we're not under the control of his spirit. Now, what is our response to this? What is the response to a very specific and a very difficult and a very challenging word that steps upon this preacher's toes, all of our toes? Well, our response is number one, to ask for help. Just, I mean, to ask for help, to come to this passage just admitting that we all struggle with this. And James tells us this. It, it shouldn't be a surprise. James chapter 3, verse 8 says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Your tongue is, my tongue is, all of our tongues are. We will all struggle in some way with this. Now, now some of our struggles will be more evident to others. Some of our struggles with our tongues will be more, uh, uh, you know, uh, hidden and maybe not as, more, not as evident. But all of us will struggle with this in some form or some fashion. James has not given us a nice speech. He's not given us a self-help manual here. There's nothing in these passages that talk about seven steps to a perfectly controlled tongue. Because why? This side of heaven, that is not a possibility. You're just not. It is a difficulty. So we must come to him asking for his divine intervention, recognizing in your life and in my life, there are situations and temptations that we're in that we must ask God to bridle our tongue. Because left to ourselves, left to our own desire, left to our own flesh, we will always move in a way that doesn't honor God with our mouth. So we must in the moment, we must before the moment, we must after the moment, ask him for help. First point. Second point, we must admit our temptation. God has used, in many ways, NA and AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, he's used that movement in a way that is very powerful. And I think one of the keys of the power of the recovery movement uh, in Celebrate Recovery and in AA and other places is that there is a sense of humbling oneself to say, I've got a problem. To, to strip yourself of these false pretenses, to strip yourself that I can figure this out, that I can fix things. And just to admit, you know something? I've messed up. I consistently do this. I need help. So to admit one's temptation is a, is a step in the right direction. Now notice what James doesn't do. He doesn't go down this laundry list of specific ways that your tongue can be a problem. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't give this long definition of criticism or innuendo or lying or bitterness or boasting or gossip or flattery. You know why he doesn't do it? Because all of us know it. 
I mean, we just know it. We live in it. We feel it. We know it. I mean, we could just go down a couple of these. Let's just think about gossip. There's no one in this room that doesn't feel the pull to gossip at times. Guys, ladies, all of us alike. We gossip in different ways, but we gossip alike. It's just a part. I had somebody come up to me after the service, and he said, you know something, David, I don't repeat gossip ever, so listen closely the first time I tell you. So uh, we... We, and he's just exactly right. I mean, all of us, all of us understand this pool. All of us understand. And, and so it's helpful sometimes just to erect guardrails that are reminders. Okay, I'm going down a direction. So just in my own personal life, anytime I couch a statement, it's a pretty good indication that I probably shouldn't say the statement. Do, do you do this at times with gossip? Do you go down the road saying, I don't know for sure but I've heard. It's a guardrail. It's a guardrail to, to maybe back away from that statement. Or, or maybe they tell me, well, I'm not really sure, I probably shouldn't repeat this, but, and we can get really spiritual. In a previous church that I pastored, I remember at a Wednesday evening prayer meeting, uh, someone saying, I'm not really sure if this happened, but I think we would all want to pray about this situation that we can spiritualize even gossip. Uh, we're prone not only to gossip, but we're prone to flattery, especially in the South. I, I'm a product of the South. I've lived all my life in the South. But if, if there is a regional sin that so easily tempts us, it is the Southern hospitality that really is the sin of flattery at times. You know what flattery is? Well, it's, it's really connected to gossip in a lot of ways. Gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to his or her face. Flattery is saying to a person's face what you would never say behind his or her back. And a part about Alabama and a part about Mississippi and a part about Louisiana and Georgia and Tennessee is, I mean, we know how to do that. We know how to do that well. It's, it's sort of like a part of who we are. You can call it whatever you want to, but there's a sense in which we get to a place where James is saying, let, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So we could go down a list of binding criticism and innuendo or lying or boasting, but ultimately we don't have to go down that list because we know that this is who we are. This is what we struggle with, so we must ask for help. We must admit our temptation. And guess what? Receive and ask for forgiveness. So we ask for forgiveness, knowing that when we ask for forgiveness vertically, that his word is a powerful word, that his word tells us that if you, if I, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do you know that the blood of Jesus Christ, it was shed and it flows to your gossip? It flows to your innuendo. It flows to your slander. That, that It flows to every part of the loose lips that hurt and that harm. And that if you would ask for forgiveness, that you as a child of God would receive his forgiveness. And all of us in this room must at times consistently, regularly ask for his divine forgiveness of times where our lips are loose and our tongue is unbridled. But more than that, an extension of that vertical forgiveness is that horizontal forgiveness. Asking those that we've hurt, asking those that we've harmed. A part of being a husband is coming to a spouse, coming to your wife and saying, I'm sorry. And oftentimes it is saying, I'm sorry for what I said. 
there, I know there's a husband in this room. That you're hanging on to this pride and saying, she's got she's to say I'm sorry first. But there, there, is a, there is a struggle in your relationship, and that struggle is the words of the relationship. And maybe this afternoon at this conversation where you just admit that, that your words have harmed, and you, you go to your bride and you say, today is a day that I just want to say to you that I am sorry for what I said. Or maybe you, wife, go to your husband, and you take that initiative to say, I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I said in the heat of the moment. I'm sorry for what I said in the stress. I'm sorry for taking this out on you and asking for forgiveness, not only vertically but horizontally. There's not a father in this room. There's not a mother in this room that in the stress of the moment hasn't said things that they wish, boy, I wish I could rewind that. I wish I could take this back. And one of the ways that we model progress in our sanctification as parents is not trying to portray perfection, but rather coming before our children and saying, at times, I am sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for the tone that I said that. I'm, I'm sorry for making that bigger than it actually was. Now, we don't have to apologize for everything that we say, but there are times that we need to apologize for some things that we say. And this passage is this wonderful passage that says that when we ask for help, when we admit our temptation, when we ask for forgiveness, that he cleanses us and he ultimately moves us forward in our spiritual progress. And all of us in this room, we just need to have grace with ourselves and we need to have grace with others because we're all works in progress, especially around our tongues. Right now, there's all this construction that's going on. If you want to get to Atlanta, you're going to go through tremendous construction that's going on. It's going to be going on for months and months. If you're coming in from the north side of town, coming back into Birmingham, you're going to go through construction. If you try to get to Huntsville, you're going to go through construction right now. And there's all of these signs that say slow, caution, work in progress, slow, caution, work in progress. And your tongue is a work in progress. My tongue is a work in progress. When our boys were really little, one of, one of the songs that Danielle would oftentimes sing to them, and boy, it just seems like the other day that she was rocking them and singing them to sleep. But one of the songs that was a part of the soundtrack of those early years of our family were, were these words. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. He took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. I remember one time where Danielle was at home with one of our boys, and we love our kids, but they can be annoying just as your kids can be too. I mean, that's the part of being a parent is at times they can do things that are just immensely frustrating. So I wasn't at home, and, but Danielle told me the story of a time that she really had to get on to one of our kids, send him to his room, there he was in his room, he got into the crib, and he had said some things that he shouldn't have said. He had to go into time out for that. So she walked past the room, and one of our boys, who was two years old, was singing this song. He's still working on me <laughs> to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. 
Mom and dad, he's still working on you. Husband and wife, he is still working on you. Son or daughter, he is still working on you. And aren't we thankful that he is still working on us? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way that you speak to our hearts. May we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, especially around a subject that affects all of us. There's none of us in this room that have pure lips. All of us have fallen short in words that we've said, careless words that we've said, words that were unguarded. But may we be reminded today that that your grace extends to our words, it extends to our lips. And we look forward to that day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord and we will have sanctified lips. We will have sanctified tongues. But until then, give us the grace to be patient with our loved ones. Give us the grace to say I'm sorry quickly and to forgive quickly. Give us the grace to initiate those conversations of reconciliation often around the words that we say. As parents, may we model progress and may we model uh, admittance of sin and may we initiate reconciliation. May the husband and the wife that are in this room, the son or the daughter, may there be deep conversations of admitting that words that were carelessly said and going to you vertically but also going horizontally to those that maybe have been harmed or hurt by careless words. May we receive your grace and understand that you are still working on us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.